Okay, we're doing Daf Lamid Dalit. Um, we're starting from the top, Lamid Dalit, Lamid Aleph, Tana Rabbanon, four or five lies down, on top of the Amid, Tana Rabbanon. So when we're talking about Aravos, the Torah says that they're Arve Nachal. So Arava, it seems like we're pretty clear what that is. It's a, a willow branch. But the, we're looking at the Pasuk that's saying, first of all, it's Arve. There's many different types of Arava, we'll see. And also that nacha. So nacha is that it grows by the brook. So the Gemara says, nacha grows there. Prat, the Tzavsafah, it excludes different types, an inferior type of arava called the Tzavsafah, which doesn't grow by the brook, it grows in mountains. Now, as we saw yesterday for, for a brief second, the, the point isn't that it actually has to grow by the brook. Like if it grows in a different location, it's okay. It doesn't, it's not specific like, oh, it grew up by the brook. You see here in the Gemara, we're not excluding one that was watered and done regularly and it looks like an arava, just it wasn't by the brook. What we're excluding is an inferior type of arava, which cannot grow by the brook, like a type of tzafsafa, which grows a little bit more, um, uh, more in the mountain terrain. Okay, so it, it, it's not, at the end of the day, it's not about location, it's about type, it's about quality. Now the Gemara tries to show us but where do we see, and what is the tzafsafa, by the way, how do we know what the differences are? So we'll see coming up in the Gemara, you know, what... How do we know what's a tzafsafah and what's an arava? We're saying it's not about where it's growing. It's just a type. So then how do you know what's a tzafsafah and what's an arava? So the Gemara is going to tell us about that. So first the Gemara tries to show us that tzafsafah is really not a good arava. So I'm Rav Micra, or sometimes maybe the grammar here is me'ekra. From what pasuk are we able to read this up? Where do we expound this in a pasuk that the tzafsafah is considered not a good type of arava? So the Gemara brings a pasuk. Kach amayim rabim tzafsafah samal. It says here in the Pasuk, and this is a Pasuk in Yechezkel, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, just to understand the context of the Pasuk, is very important. The Navi is giving Musr. The Jewish people haven't done the right, haven't done the right thing. And, 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 and here it's talking about, it says, it says that which grows, um, that which grows by the water, rabim, take something which grows by the water. Okay, so that's usually a reference to Arava, the Gemara is going to explain. But then it says, Tzavsafah Samo, instead they set up a Tzavsafah, so basically, what the Navi is saying is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told you to take an Arava. And instead, what you guys do, you took a Tzavsafah. Now, it's not literal. It's not saying, oh, you violated the mitzvah of Lul of Arava. It's, 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 it's metaphoric. It's saying, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you Torah, he gave you mitzvahs, he gave you the opportunities, he gave you everything. He gave you the brook, he gave you the Arava, he gave you everything ready to go. What did you come and do? You made Tzavsafahs. So basically, it's a way of saying, it's like an illustration of like a cheap, inferior knockoff. That's what you think it's asked about. It's like, the Ebershtay gave you, you know, like the, the Rolex, and everybody's walking around with some fake Rolexes. Like, that's the, that's the point here in the Navi. So, so we see that Tzavsafah Samu, that they put the Tzavsafah, that the Tzavsafah is not considered to be the Arab. So, Amalei Abaye, how do we know? Maybe, who said you're reading the Pasuk correctly? Maybe the end of the Pasuk of Tzavsafah Samu is a continuation, which is explaining the beginning of the Pasuk. And this is what the Pasuk is saying. Take something which grows by many waters, and what is that? Tzavsafah, it is the Tzavsafah, meaning we're kind of forgetting about the context for a second in the Navi, what the point of the Navi is, but we're saying just from looking at that phrase in the Pasuk, you don't see that Tzavsafah is in contrast to the thing that grows by the water. Maybe what it means is this explanation of the thing. Ayakadosh Baruch was saying, take that which grows by the water, Tzavsafah, Samu, they come and they, come, they came and took the Tzavsafah, they placed the Tzavsafah, and Tzavsafah is the thing that grew by the water. So maybe we have the interpretation of the Pasuk exactly wrong. What does it mean in Kaisal set it up? Meaning the Pasuk should just say, take that which grows by the water, and they came and took Tzavsafah or something like that. 
when the Pasuk is saying, they set up the Tzavzafa, then the Mashmos of the Pasuk is that they didn't do that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, take that which grows by the water, which is not the Tzavzafa, something better. They came and they set up the, the Tzavzafa. So we see that Tzavzafa here is meant to be a contrast to the thing that grew up in the water, that grows by the water. They did not come and take that which grew by the water. Instead, Tzavzafa Samu, they came and set up the Tzavzafa. So we see it's a sense of contrast that they didn't listen carefully. They didn't adhere to what the constructions, the opportunity that Akadosh Baruch gave them. And now the Gemara expounds it just based upon Reb Zeir's interpretation. in front of me like that which is taken from a place of a lot of water. Mind you, Rebbe, what is that? Rebbe, meaning I said that Klai has the opportunity to be like the thing which God Almighty. How do they set themselves up? They set themselves up to be just like the Tzavsafa. Meaning the Avisha is saying, I give you all the resources. I give you all the opportunities to make yourself grow like the Arava. But instead, you've rejected what I've wanted and you've made yourself just be like the inferior Arava which grows by the mountains. You think about it, if you want to embellish a little bit on the, on the Mashal, the, the idea of God Alamayim, Achronim explained what's Mayim in Mayim Ala Torah. Explains that Mayim is the way of Torah. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we're the Arava, the Jewish people are the Arava. Remember the Arava, Interesting idea. It's the, thing, it's the lowest of the Dalad Minim. It's the one which has, no, which has no taste. It's the one which has no smell. Nothing good about it. So it represents like the most basic of a Yid. Nothing special, but the, you know, the, basic, the basic that it can be. That's why right. it's representative of, of the lip. Zabramel says, that we can always talk to Akadosh Baruch Hu, the lowest of the lowest. So we have to, the one thing that needs to be is that it has to be nurtured, it has to grow, it has to grow by the water, it has to grow by the Torah. As long as the Yid is, is exposed on some level to grow by the water, to grow by the Torah, then he can, be, he can flourish, he can turn into a beautifully green Arava. Now it's not so much there, but there's something, there's a beauty to that Arava itself. But when Klaisar rejects the Torah and they don't grow by the water and instead they're around by the mountains, the mountains look like they're so strong and this and that, but Lomaisa, they don't have a source of water usually by the mountains, then in that situation, then they end up inferior and they're called the Tzasva, and that's part of what the Navi's embellishment upon here. Now the Gemara says, There are those who say this whole Shtukul Torah that we just said is part of the Brisa, meaning it's going to be the same content of the Gemara, so don't look for anything new. But it's going to be a question of who said it. Is the Amarama or is it the Brisa? So in the Ikadami, in the second version, it's the Brisa. The Pasuk says, the Pasuk in Yechezko, take that which grows by the lot of water. And, 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 and they set up a Tzavsafa. So we see that what? That the Tzavsafa is not an Arava. On that, Maskathar, Abzavar, Duvar, Ravishim, Afarish. How do you know? Maybe the end of the Pasuk is explaining the beginning of the Pasuk. And it's saying, Kachamayim, Rabbim, Mayniutzav, Tzavsafa. That Akalish Prabhu is saying, take that which grows by a lot of water. And that is. And the Gemara, the Gemara responds to that in Kenmai Sama. What would it mean that they set it up? If it's an explanation, it wouldn't say, and they set up the Tzavsava. Clearly, it must be that it's a contrast that they did not um, take that which grew by the lot of water. Instead, they set up a Tzavsava. And on that, Amar Bavo, Amar Kalish Baruchu, Aniyamai, Tisho should be in front of me. Like that which grows in a place of a lot of water, which is in Arava. They ain't some Baharim. But instead, they reject the opportunity and they make themselves. Just like the Tzavsafa, which grows by a lot of mountains. And again, this is exactly the same as the first version. The only difference is whether it's part of the Brisa that the Pasuk is there or Reb was the one who brought the Pasuk. But either way, the Gemara is being shuckled with Tari, going back and forth on the Pasuk as the source that the Tzavsafa is not considered to be the real source of the real Arava. And now practically for us, when the Torah says, take Arvi Nachlan Sukkis, we know you should not take Tzavsafa. That's not considered to be the real type of Arava. So now the Gemara wants to help us 
understand how do in the world do we know what is an Arava and what is a Tzafsifa? And again, intuitively, you might say, as long as it's not by the brook, then it's not an Arava. However, we know that's not true. We learned yesterday that it doesn't dafka have to grow by the brook. It's a type of species. So how do we know which one? So the answer is, Arava. It has a red stem. So a lot of times you don't notice this. A lot of times you might, right, because it's covered up by, a lot, by the leaves. That's one. And second of all, is that it's kind of like the same thing with the green esro is that as long as it would turn red, it's okay. It doesn't actually practically have to be red. It has to be the species where the stem would turn red. A lot of the hadas, a lot of the arabas, rather, that we pick are still a little bit more mature, and they would if, they, if you would leave them out in like some exposure, leave them on the counter, leave them on the sun. Sometimes by the end of sukkahs, you can see it in the arava. Usually you don't even notice it because the leaves are already black and everything. But uh, there is something about the redness. There's a redness to the, to the arava stem. <coughs> okay, the <coughs> The leaf has to be mashach. Mashach means it's not a circle; it's an oval. Upia chaluk. The edge of the leaf has to be smooth. I mean, it's not serrated. It's not sharp. It's not sharp. It's, it's smooth. Whereas the tafsifa, it doesn't have these three things. Number one, kanoshalah The stem is whiter. For alashalah agul, the leaf is circular. And the third variable, upia domet lemakul. The leaf is serrated, it has like a sickle, you know, like where it's got different sharpness on the serrated, it's like a sickle, it's got these teeth pointing out on it. So those are the three differences. As the Gemara, is that really true? Here it seems like we're saying that all three of these variables need to be there for it to be an Arava. So presumably, if you don't have an Arava, which has all these three things, it's not a red stem, it's not an oval leaf, and it's not a smooth one, then it's not going to be good. But it says in a price, if it's rated like a sickle, kosher, it's kosher, if it's rated like a saw, possible, then it's no good. So basically, we're saying that the difference is whether the, um, with the way that it's, it's, it's got these pointy teeth. A sickle is pointy teeth, but the, 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 a saw one is more of a square teeth, and it's also faces a little bit, you know, like random, like where, which direction they're pointing. In the sickle one, all the points face backwards, like behind the behind the handle. Whereas by the saw, it's all a little bit squared and they face in different directions. So basically it sounds like there's different types here of serrated edges. And we're seeing here in the price so that it depends. If it's serrated like a sickle, it is good. But if it's serrated like a saw, it is no good. So what do we have here in the price of Akasha, what we just said. We said that basically we're saying that if it's not smooth, it's not an arava. If it's serrated like a sickle, then it's the tzafsafa and it's no good. Here it seems to say to the contrary. And the bribe, so we seem to be saying that if it's rated like a sickle, it actually is kosher. It's only invalid if it's like a saw. So which one is it? So that's talking about the willow, that's the gila one. So what is this gila one? So Rashi explains that it's a total regular arava, it's a red stem, and it's got oval leaves. So it's got two out of the three simanim. But in terms of the leaves, it happens to be that it's rated like a sickle. Now, Therefore, what? So what the Gemara is explaining to us, and this is where things get a little bit complicated. We thought before, to be in Arava, you need all three signs. You have to, A, have a red stem, B, have the oval lips, the oval leaves, and, and three, it has to be smooth edges. The Gemara is saying, no, 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 you don't need all three. You will have a type of Arava, there are not many, we said the ones that are most common. There will be types of Arava which have the oval leaves and red stems, but won't necessarily have smooth edges. And those are kosher. 
And those are like this example, this min, Kofa Gila, the Gila one, that one's kosher. The, the, the Tzavsifal one, which is inferior, doesn't have any of them. It's missing all of the Simanim. It's, it's got a whiter stem and it's got, a, it's got a circular leaf and it's serrated as well. So it's not that being serrated in, is itself absurd. It's, it's not true. You could have once in a while a type of arava which will be serrated and good, as long as it's going to have the red stem and as long as it's going to be an oval leaf. The reason the price identified it otherwise, and it said all three, is because usually they all go together. These simonim usually are grouped together where it's a red stem, oval leaf, and a smooth edge. But in Achinami, if you get that one anomaly where it has a serrated edge, but it's an oval leaf, and it has a red stem, in Achinami will be kosher. So it's a little bit confusing that the Brysa before identified the Tzavsifah versus Arava with, the, with these three Simanim. That's the usual Simanim, but in Achanami, if I get one which only has the two out of the three, it has its rated edge, but it still has those oval leaves, and it has the red stem, in Achanami it would be good. And that's the one anomaly, like the Gemara is describing, is the Chofagila. So basically, it's not absolute Simanim, you just got to figure out, don't use the inferior Tzavsifah, but there's no din in and of itself, that the leaves have to be smooth. Amr Abai, you know what we see up from here? You see from here that the gila willow, that's good to use for the hoshana, for the lula bundle, right? Very clear. The bryza, when we're saying, was talking about the sickle, that's good, was talking about the gila willow. So we see that the gila willow is good. So it's more pizza, like, why would it not be? Like, it's a willow, right? It's a willow branch. Why would it not be good? Says the Gemara, you may have thought, since it has an accompanying name, and this might be familiar to us, we've had this a bunch of times here in the Mesechta. What's a Shem Levai? A Shem Levai is you've got a second name. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you know, take Ezov, take a Hisop, Hisop. And you take, a, you take a type of Hisop which has called the, the Greek Hisop. So by definition, since it's called the Greek Hisop, maybe it's no good. Because it's not the Stam Hisop. So I would say here, you're not taking the regular willow, you're taking the gila willow. It's not the regular willow. If it has a second name, it's like, it needs to be explained exactly what it is, it's not the regular one. So you may have said it's not kosher, Kamash will not to say that it's no, it's okay, even though it has a second name. Says maybe it does, it's too good, maybe it is possible because it has a second name. Says The Torah says all the willows which grows by the brook. So we see that any types, even if it has an added name, as long as it's called an arava, it's okay, even if it has a second. So we're saying we're being makel. We don't require it to be a stam arava, to be a stam willow, even if it's a, a, a willow which has a second name to it to identify it. Like the gila willow, it's still considered a willow and it's kosher for the mitzvah. Okay, now we get back to the tzavsafah. The Gemara points out this is just a language thing, a very ironic thing in language. There are three things. Three things had a name change. They underwent a name change after the base of Mikdash. One of them is Chalavta Arava, what used to be called the Chilfa, which is Rashi says a name for the Tzafzafa, the inferior one, which is not kosher. Today, in our day and age, in Rav Chista's time, it's called the Arava. And what's today, what was what was rather what used to be called Arava, is today called the Chilfa. So things just absolutely switch. Am I enough, Yamina? Why do you care about this language point? Lulav or the Lulav. Meaning, it used to be you went to the market and you made sure you didn't ask for a tzavsifah. You made, you made sure, I need an arava, it's Today, you have to go to the market and you have to ask for a tzavsifah. That's for the chilfah. What's the point of this? It must be some deeper meaning. It's got to be some deeper meaning. How the language, it's just a language thing. It's just a way of identifying the species. It's, again, it's not telling what people call it. It's telling what it is. Does it have the red stem? Does it have the oval leaves? And uh, does it have the smooth edges like we spoke about? But the name, today people call it Wait, Today is the Tzav Sifar is really, is, re- is really what used to be the Arava back then. 
So you should go to the market and ask for a tzavzavah today. That's what the Gemara of Chista is saying. Rav Chista continues, there's more types of stuff like this, where this phenomenon happened. Shipura chatzorzos, what shofar and chatzorzos. What used to be called a shofar, it's called a chatzorzos. And what's the difference in types of horns? But well, one of them is curved. But we know today what we have a shofar, we actually call it a shofar. Chatzorzos is straighter. Now, so what used to be called a shofar today is called chatzorzos. Chatzorzos, shipura, what used to be called chatzorzos, now shofar, line up to me, no shofar, 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 You have to make sure you get the right thing for Rosh Hashanah. So when you go to the market and you're buying a horn, better ask for today a chatzorzos. You don't want to be asking for a shofar. Says the Gemara, another one. So these are just different types of tables. One's bigger and one's smaller. And, uh, and the names change. Amar Abaya. Abaya comes along. He wants to continue the conversation. He says, you know what? I can find some of this as well. The organ in the body that used to be called the Bekasi is not called the Uvlila. What used to be called the Uvlila is not called the Bekasi. Who cares what we're talking about? This is for a needle that's found in the walls of the stomach. So let's just clarify. A cow has four stomachs. And the second and third stomach here, there's a name for them. One is Besakosos, uh, is the name of it, and one is the Hamsif. So you get different names here for them. Now, Rabbi is saying that the names of the stomachs flipped. Now, who cares the names called the second or third stomach of the cow? Like, you know, what's the difference? The difference is in Hilchos Trefos. You might remember from the third paragraph, Hulun, very complicated halachos about Trefos. So what happens is, is that if, you, if there's a puncture in some of the wall, if there's a puncture in the in the walls of the stomach, it makes it no good. So what happens if you don't know if there's a whole puncture, but you find a little needle. So if you find the needle, do you have to automatically know that it punctured the wall? How did it get there or not? So we say like this, it depends how thick the wall is. Sometimes you can have a puncture where it's so thick that it only maybe punctured the outer half, but it didn't go all the way through. So it depends if it's a thick wall or a thin wall. So some of the stomachs have a cow have a thick wall. Some of the stomachs of the cow have a thin wall. So you better know which ones. You better know your biology, first of all. And then you better know if you're referring to the same thing. You might learn a mission on Hulin, which might say one thing about the biology. Today, you got the names flipped. So what's called the second stomach will be the third stomach. The third stomach will be the second stomach. It might be all mixed up. And you're going to pass them based upon the old language. Whereas today, the language is just reversing what we call the second and third stomach. So that's why Abai is saying you better make sure that you realize that the name for the Bekasi is really today the Uvlila. And what's today the Uvlila Bekasi, it all got switched up. Okay, continues the Gemara, another one, one last one. Amar Rabbi Bar Yosef Afani Omer, Bavel Borsif. The place that used to be called Bavel today is called Borsif. Borsif, what used to be called Borsif today is called Bavel. What are we talking about for Gitim? The halacha is that there's a din, you might remember the first din in Gitim, when you bring a get, you have to say, Bafani Nachta, Bafani Nachta. Why? We're not sure if it's written Lishma, we're not sure if it was forged, so on and so forth. Chazal only made this takana that you have to read Edus when a get is sent from Medina Sayyam, if it's from like. A place where people don't know the halacha so well, they're not the key, and that you have to write like at lishma, or they don't. Not everybody recognizes each other's signatures. You don't have to do it in Eretz Israel. And when the when people moved to Babel and Babel became the place of Tamil Chacham and so on and so forth, there's no thing you have to do it in Babel. Again, it's only because of the total ignorance of the people out in Medina Sayyam. They don't know you have to write a get lishma, or they might have forged it. Whatever it is, that's why Chazal said you don't need to find nechem, find nechem. In Babel, you don't need to because there are bnei yeshivas in Babel. But what we're coming along and saying is, what's Babel? Be careful. Because today what they call bubble is really borsif. And what they used to be called borsif today is bubble. So you better, when, you, when you're paskining which get needs the psaq of a vanenachtam, make sure you're getting the one that today is borsif, not the one that today is bubble. Okay, and that's the end of these phenomena. It continues the Mishnah here. We focus now on a very important question. How many hadasim and arabas do you need to take? How many? The Torah doesn't really say, right? It says, anaf eats avos va'arvein achav. 
That's very vague. It doesn't say how many. So we intuitive, intuitively know the answer because we know what we do. We have three Adasim and two Arabas. But now we get into this Rabbi Yishmael Omer Shlosha Adasim. You need three Adasim, two Arabas, two Arabas. Lulav Echad, one Lulav Eser, Gechad, and one Eser. Now, this that you have to take three Adasim. It's okay, even if two of them are clipped, the top is clipped off. As long as one of them is not clipped off, it's okay. Now, what's going on here? Is it a problem if it's clipped or is it not a problem if it's clipped, right? We say on the one end you need three adasim, but then we say of the three adasim, it's totally fine if two out of the three are clipped. So what's going on? So if it's a problem that it's clipped, then you should need all three of them not to be clipped. And if it's not a problem that it's clipped, then why don't you have all three of them totally clipped? Well, what's going on? So the Gemara is going to tell us that actually what happened here is that there was a stutter step here and Rabbi Yishmael retracted his position. Meaning you definitely need, he started off saying you need three and if it's caught him, it's no good. It's not harder. If it's clipped off, it's no good. But then what happened was he was choser. He retracted his position and he said you only need one. And the way that he said it's okay if you only need one is he said, by the way, two could be clipped. That's a very fancy way of saying really you only need one. So it's a very funny thing, right? He originally said you need three and then he says, by the way, two could be clipped. You only need one unclipped one. That's Rabbi Shmuel's way of expressing, I've retracted my view. You actually do not need three, and it suffices to have one. And the Gemara is going to speak that out. Rabbi Tarfan Omer, Rabbi Tarfan holds, you don't need them to be unclipped. According to Rabbi Tarfan, it's totally fine if they're clipped. Rabbi Tarfan seems to be saying that a clipped hadas is valid. He holds that there's no din of hadar on, on the, um, on, 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 uh, that if, it, if, if it's clipped off the top, it's not a problem of hadar. That's Rabbi Tarfan's opinion. And therefore, he's saying, why don't you have all three of them clipped? Now, the Mishnah mentioned before, and Daflam and Beis, and Beis. Yes, that it cannot be clipped, or Tarfan would be disagreeing. And it would be a machlokas. It would be a machlokas if the top is clipped. There's different svaras, what, what the machlokas could be in. You could say it's machlokas if the din of Hadar goes on Hadas, because remember, Hadar, it said in the beginning of the Pasuk, on the Esra, creates Hadar. Maybe it doesn't continue over all the way here. Or you could say that maybe the Mashaila is, you can't notice as well, the top of the stem is clipped. Why? Because what, what covers the whole thing? The leaves. Remember, when you're talking about Hadasim, totally hugged by the, by the leaves. You only see the leaves, right? You barely notice the stem. So maybe it's, even if the top of the stem is clipped, you don't notice it as much. It's not a problem. Some, some of you showed him say that's far. And Afkamina is, what would Rabbi Tarfan say about a clipped Arab? That's a very interesting roundabout. We'll see. Okay, anyways, Rabbi Tarfan says, He's saying you need three, but even if they're all clipped, that's okay. Rabbi Akiva Omer, same way, Luluf and Esrog are one, so too only one Hadas and one Arava are required. He holds that all of them are compared to the Esrog. The Torah clearly by the Esrog is only one, creates other, it's in the singular. So too you only need, you only need one for the rest of them. Okay, fine, very good. Um, all right, so it seemed to be three opinions here in the Mishnah. We had Rabbi Ishmael. Rabbi Shmuel originally seems to be saying three, that it had to be all good. In the end, he seems to be saying you really only need one, and it, and it, and it cannot be clipped. Rabbi Tarfan saying you need three, but they can all be clipped. And then Rabbi Kiva saying all of them could be one. Says the Gemara Tanya, it says in a bride, so here we're going to go through the sources. Rabbi Shmuel Omer, pre-eats echad. The Torah says, pre-eats hadar. It says, take for yourself the first species of the Esrog, pre-eats hadar. So it's belashun yachid. One, take one fruit, echad. So that's one. Then we say kapos tamarim echad. The branches of the date palms, that means one lulav. Now that might not be so simple, right? Because it says kapos. Kapos means branches. How do you know there's only one lulav? So Rashi explains, this is the Creek Siv, this is Hebrew grammar. Kapos in the plural really should have a vav. It should be kaf, pei, vav, tav. But it's missing. In the Torah, it's missing a vav. So it's as if it says kapas. As if it says kapas, that it's in the singular, it's only one. But then we go to the hadasim, anaf, etzavosh, losha. So even though you translate the words, it means the shoot of a plated tree, 
where the leaves, you know, are covering it completely, even though you would say that's just the descriptive words, but we make a drasha and we say there are three words, anaf, eight of those, and we say that there are three hadasim which are required. Arve nachal, then it says arve nachal, that means at least time, at least two. Why? Because arve is plural, willows. So we say that means that you need a minimum, a minimum of two. Now continues continues the brisa. Rabbi Shmuel, it's good even if two are clipped and one is not clipped. Again, that same point there in the Mishnah. It sounds like we're saying that um, that you need three adasim, and then suddenly we're saying it's okay if two are clipped and one is not clipped. So what happened? And again, we're going to see that Rabbi Shmuel retracted his position. We'll get to that. Rabbi Tavrin Omer, Shlosha, Filushlashan, Ketumim. Three adasim are taken, and it's good even if all three of them are clipped. This is. We understood the Mishnah, but it's a little bit more clear than the Mishnah. In the Mishnah, Rabbi Tarfan just said, it's good if all three of them are clipped. Here, he emphasizes, you need three. Meaning, you need three, but it's okay if all of them are clipped. Rabbi Tarfan doesn't hold that there's a problem with a clip, with a clipped hadas. Then we get Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, just as you only need one lulav and one esrog, and everybody agreed to that point. So too, by the hadas and the rabbah, only one is required. Amalur Rabbi Lezer. Rabbi Lezer said to him, now, the gear here is a little bit funny because where Velazar is going to say a statement which has nothing to do with what anyone was saying. He's just going to make his own point. So there's some people take out the gear. So anyways, Rabbi Lezer now is talking. Very fundamental question. You might think that the esrog should be tied together with the other species in one bundle. Meaning, we know that you take the other species together in one bundle. How do we know? So we've had a machlokas about it. Either lulav tzarech eged, and the word ulakachtem means that it should be taken by Aguda, that's Rabbi Yehuda, or it's a beauty, it's it's a beautification of the mitzvah to take them together in a bundle. So I might say, if you're taking them together in the bundle, take all of them together in the bundle, the Esrog as well. So Amri, to, to say that this is not true, you answer, the Chinemar, is the language of the Pasuk, creates Hadar, does it say take the Hadar fruit and the branches of the date palm? It does not say that. There is no Vav which connects them. It, it does not say take the Esrog and the branch. It says it without the vav. It's as if it's like a comma, but like a break. You're taking the esrog, not and the lulav. You're taking the esrog, and then you move on. You take the lulav, and then what does it say afterwards? It goes on to say, So bottom line is, there's a vav which connects the arobos and the hadasim to the lulav, and those vavs mean that it's taken together. Whereas there's no vav which connects the esrog to the lulav, and that's how you know that the esrog is taken independently. It's not taken together with the other ones. Okay, that's the important thing. So again, the pasuk, there's no vav between the esrog and the lulav. There is a vav which connects the adasim and the aravas to the lulav. Fine. So now we get, the, you know, the famous vart. They say about the, the Beis Yosef still brings a whole thing. They have to hold them together. There's a whole thing in the Beis Yosef about a dream of somebody you saw a dream and uh, Sukkot's night about somebody writing Hashem's name where the last the Yud Vav were all together and then the hay was off to the side and he started screaming at him in the dream he says what are you doing you're writing Hashem's name wrong but obviously the hay has to be next to it he didn't understand the meaning of the dream he said he got to shul the next day and uh, he saw people who were, who were just picking up you know the esrog like this and holding you know on one hand they're picking up the lulav on the other hand but they weren't holding them together so he says now I know Pshad in the dream this isn't a Beisayasim it's not like uh, it's in the Beisayasim the, the source of Shulchanan he says, I saw Pshat in the dream that even though the Gemara Darsh, that it's not bound together in the bundle, he has to hold it together. So the Chafetz Chaim said, a very famous Chafetz Chaim, he said Pshat, that the, uh, we know that the Esrog is the most beautiful Yid, right? The one that tastes good and gives off the good smell, the beautiful Yid. So, so he basically says that the, the Indian is 
that he's meant to do kirif, he's meant to affect positively, to inspire the other types of Jews. So on the one hand, you're not bound together with them. You know, you don't live with them. You're, you're distinct. You're apart. You're not ba'aguda achas with the rest of them. But you have to be held together with them. You have to go over to the bundle. You're right next to the bundle. That's the mahalach. That's the kir. That was the Chafetz Chaim's insight into all of it. But the simple interpretation is that, again, like just as the Shem Havai, each of the four letters, each here of the four minim correspond to one of them. These things are a little bit, the deeper meanings are a little bit beyond us. But there's, there's a lot going on. It's not like a simple thing. When you're doing the Na'anuim, you see, you know, somebody shuckling with deep concentration and, and sukkahs with this. There's a lot to think about. Not that I know what it is, but a lot is going on with the Shem Havaya and the Dalaminim as we see over there in that story. At any rate, now the Gemara moves on to a very sadistic question in the Bryson. How do we know that the four species are Ma'akiv? You should take them. It's like The taking should be Tom. Tom means complete. It has to be complete taking. It can't be incomplete. It has to be complete. So what does that mean it has to be a complete taking? Some Rishonim learn it means that you have to have all four species. If you don't have all four, to take three is worthless. Meaning you're not Makayim in the Mitzvah with three. You don't make a brach if you only have three. That's the Pashup shot. Some Rishonim learn that it means you have to take all of them together. Meaning, let's say I took the Esrog and I put it down, and then I took the Lulav, I picked it up and I put it down, and then I take the Adas and I put it up. That's no good. I have to take them all in my hands together. Some Rishonim hold, you don't have to. You could take them one after each other. You just have to take all four. Big question about whether you have to take them together. It's a question of how to read this line in the Gemara. <coughs> now the Gemara gets back to Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Shmuel first said that you need three, and then he said that two of them could be clipped, um, and it's okay if only one of them is unclipped. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Shmuel, man of Shalish, Lehman, Bai, if you require Zadassim to be whole, Libai Namiku, then all of them have to be whole. If he doesn't require them to be whole, if he's okay with clipped ones, Afilukhan Namilo. Then, uh, and then, then, then we shouldn't even require one of them to be whole. So what's going on? Rabbi Shmuel is saying three, and then he's saying two of them could be clipped, one of them doesn't, can't be clipped. So what's going on? Originally he held you need three, and then he would hold you need three of them to be unclipped. Now he's chayzer, and he says one is enough, but that one adas has to be complete. Again, it seems a very strange why Rabbi Yishmael did that, right? He comes along and he says, by the way, now I hold two of them could be clipped. Why didn't Rabbi Yishmael just come along and say, I'm closer that you need three? Right? That would have been a lot simpler, a simpler way of saying it. Um, that seems to be a little bit strange. And it seems that we showed him say a big chiddish, that it's still a chathila to have three. Even when he's closer and he says, really only need one, it's still better to have three. But since it's only better, then you could have clipped ones. But it's a strange idea. It seems like the Maskana, very clear, Rabbi Yishmael only holds you need one. How do we pass it? Amar viyudam or Shmuel? The most lenient opinion. They, that why? They could all be clipped. If Tarifon held, there's no din of the other requiring them that they can't be clipped. Again, either there's no din of other bachlal, or it's not against the beauty if the top of the stem is clipped because you don't see it as well. The halach is like Rabbi Tarifon, a clipped hadas is kosher. Not like a clipped lulaf. Says the Gemara of Azad Shmuel the Taimei. Shmuel told people who sold the hadasim. Now these people seems that they were, they were being bad with the prices. They had a monopoly. You know, I don't want to say anything bad about the vendors today, but it doesn't seem like things have changed so much in our time. But the people were selling Hadassim for exorbitant prices, way too much. So Shmuel threatened them. He said, Ashur Zabinu, sell them the right way. Sell them for cheaper. V'ilo, if you don't. The original Luchuk I'm going to teach in the Shir that the Allah is like Rebbe And therefore what? Clipped Hadassim are good. And now everybody's not going to need you as much. You're all busy selling unclipped Hadassim and charging a fortune for it. I'm going to tell everybody that clipped adasim are good. 
And now, now you're going to be down. So make sure you, you put the price down. So Shmuel said, Allah is like Reb It's consistent because he was willing to put his money where it is. He would have talked publicly, Allah is like Reb Tarfan. He says, Umar, my time. Why is Shmuel threatening them with Reb Tarfan? He doesn't because he's more Mako. So it would be a very effective threat. But maybe Shmuel doesn't really hold like Reb Tarfan. And he's just saying he's threatening them. If that's what's going on, Shmuel should have threatened them with Rabbi Akiva. Akiva's even more late, lenient. Why? Rabbi Akiva holds you don't even need three. Rabbi Akiva holds you even one is, is okay. So if Shmuel was just threatening them with words and he wasn't going to follow through, he shouldn't have threatened them with Rabbi, with Rabbi Tavim. He should have threatened them with Rabbi Akiva. Must be that he wasn't just threatening them with empty words. He was telling them what he would have actually have done. He would have said, Allah is like Rabbi Tavim because Allah is like Rabbi Tavim. You do need three, but they could be clipped. So the Gemara is saying, we see from here that Shmuel is Lashi So the Gemara says, no, that's not necessarily a proof. That Rabbi Kiva, um, that, that Rabbi Shmuel actually goes like Rabbi Tarfin. Maybe he was just threatening them with words. Really, Lalch is not like Rabbi Tarfin. He was just threatening them with words. I why didn't he threaten them with Rabbi Akiva that one is okay? The answer is, it's very easy to find clipped ones, even if to find three. It's hard to find one unclipped one. So which one is more Mako? If you could either have Rabbi Akiva or Rabbi Tarfin, you could either need three, but all three could be clipped, or you can need one, but the one has to be unclipped. Which one is more lenient? more lenient to say you need three that could be clipped. Because it's very easy to find clipped hadassim. You'll find them all over the place. To find an unclipped one, complete one, that's hard. So that's why maybe really it was just an empty threat. Maybe really he wasn't passing like Rav But he was talking about the, 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 that he would, he would threaten them with it because that would have been the most lenient opinion to say that you don't need clipped ones. So the Gemara doesn't come up whether Shmuel is Lashitaso, but it does seem Lamaisa that Shmuel did pass him like Rav Tarfan. The Gemara does say, Halacha is like Rav Okay. Continues the Mishnah to the Esrog. Esrog got gazo by Yavish Paso. A stolen Esrog or a dried one is no good. If it's dry one, clearly it's not other. If it's stolen, it's no good. It's not Lachem on the first day. It's Mitzvah of Avera on the rest of the day. Shalashir Shalom Yudachas Paso. So Nashir Tree and Yudachas is no good. Why? Nashir and Yudachas Tree have to be destroyed. If it has to be destroyed, it doesn't have a significance of size. Remember, there has to be a shear to it. Show Arla Paso. If it's an Arla tree, it's no good. What's Arla? The first three years? The fruit is Asr You can't take the, 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 the Esrog from an Arla tree. Not only should you not take it, if you take it, it's puzzle. We have to figure out why. Because when you do a mitzvah, you're not having a no. Mitzvah's la'ale hanos So why is it that the esrog from the arlo tree is no good? We'll have to learn all about it tomorrow. Shal truma tamei apostle. If it's trum, a truma one, which became tamei, it's no good. Again, we have to see what's going on in the Gemara. Basically, it seems like there's something about an esrog where it has to be like suitable for eating, it seems like. And if there are all these cases where you can't eat it for some reason, it appears the esrog is no good. We have to understand why. So, if it's an esrog of truma, which is tar, you shouldn't take such an esrog. But if you did, it's okay. And the Gemara will explain what's going on. Again, we have to understand, is it for kohenim, non-kohenim? How exactly do we understand this? The end of the Mishnah, the Mishnah is saying, truma to me is no good. Truma, if it's tar, it's lechatchila, it shouldn't be done. But if you do, it's okay. Shal demai, demai is questionable whether it was tar. We'll see again in the Machlokas and the Gemara what the variable is. It's hard to understand this without understanding what the issue is. Maeser Shani, some years, the Maeser, you take up a tithe, you, you take up a tenth, and you take the fruits to Yerushalayim and you eat it there. So let's say you take up the Esrog of Maeser Shani, so it's in Yerushalayim, it's better not to take it. If you do take it, it's okay. We're going to see what the issue is. Is it an issue of whether you're the owner? You're not fully the owner, you can't do whatever you want with it. They only have taken your shalim, or is an issue? Is maybe an issue of the edibility? We'll see again tomorrow. But the Mishnah here is saying 
that it's not lechatchila to take the esrog of ma'aser sheni, but if you did, but the evidence it is kosher. It's a great question. Does the Mishnah mean it's okay only if you take it in Yerushalayim? Or does the Mishnah mean if I take it in general, it's kosher because it could be in Yerushalayim? This, again, we'll have to explore tomorrow when we understand better what the issue is. Also, chazazis arubos. We have so chazazis. Chazazis means like little boils. So it basically, there's some sort of blemishes. There's some thin boils that are growing around, uh, that growing around the esrog. So the question is, what happens if it's on most of it? Or nitla pitmasva, the pitam is removed. So we know the pitam is on the top, right? That thing that grows out of the top. So it was there, it was there, and then it fell off. This is obviously the Muslim, everybody knows this, that you can buy an esrog without a pitam, buy an esrog with a pitam. Buying an esrog with a pitam is very dangerous because the pitam falls off, it's no good. Some pitams fall off naturally while it's on the tree, those are fine. But if it, if it, if it was plicked and it has the pitam and then it falls off, that's what the mission here is telling us there's an issue. Or niklaf, if it was peeled, nistak, it was split open. Nikabachasar kosher, if there was a puncture and now it's missing a little bit. In all these cases, possible, it's no longer considered complete or hadar, and it's no good. Whereas in contrast, oh, so chazazaz al if the boils are there, but only on a little bit, nital ukso, the bottom, the ukits is the bottom of the esra, the stem is removed. Nikabachasar kosher, there's a puncture, but nothing was removed. Meaning, let's say somebody stuck a needle in the esra, but nothing was removed. Kasha. Esrog at Kushi Puzzle. An Ethiopian Esrog is no good. What, what is this Esrog? What is this talking about? So Rashi says that it's grown in Ethiopia and is a darker, a darker thing to that. Um, it's a darker location and it's not considered to be Hadar. Ayog Kakarti, let's say it's green just like a leek, it doesn't have any yellow to it. Ravi Mayor, Master Ravi Mayor says it's good. Ravi Mayor says it's not good. So again, and even when we're saying machlokas here, Rabbi Yehuda doesn't require it to be hadar. We learn that daflam and alf. It's an issue of whether it's considered a pre. Is it considered mature the way that it is? Is it? Or do we say no? If it's totally green, it's an immature type of fruit. Uh, that's the machlokas Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir. Whereas the halacha, just remember, if it's going to turn yellow, it's okay. It doesn't have to currently be yellow. Rabbi Meir's issue is if it's not going to turn yellow, then it's not considered a fruit. One more about the size of that. So sheer esrog katan. What's the smallest size of an esrog? Rabbi Meir omer eggs. The smallest size of a walnut. Rabbi Yehuda omer kabeitz. It has to be bigger. The size of an egg has to be more mature. Sure, it has to be a little bit bigger the size of an egg for it to be kosher. Uva gado. What about the, is there a maximum size for an esrog? According to Rabbi Yudah, it has to be that you could hold two of them in your hand. And we saw before in the Gemara, remember why Rabbi Yudah says this. He's nervous if it's too big, you might be transferring your hands, it might fall, it might break, it might get a blemish. Rabbi Yudah doesn't want it to be too big. Even if it's a monster one, you know, you have one, one esrog that it requires both hands to hold, According to this more lenient opinion of Rabbi, of Rabbi Yossi, it's still okay. And we pass him like Rabbi Yossi. So Rabbi Yudha has a maximum size, doesn't want it to be too big, he doesn't want it to fall into break. Rabbi Yossi is okay, even with a monster one, he's okay with it being used as an astronaut.